Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. So today I'm totally excited to bring you Troy Reeves. Troy is a fellow John Maxwell team uh, certified coach. He and I have, have that, that JMT DNA. We're both you know, focused on one, growing ourselves, because from our growth, we can then encourage others to grow, you know, whether it's our, our wife, our children, friends, coworkers, whomever, we're then in a, pl- a better place to do that. And uh, Troy, you're going to see his heart is in helping people. So he has, has gone through quite a number of things, saying the truth, even when it's not popular, even when it's not accepted. And that's something that, you know what, that's something that resonates with me. It's more something that, that I need to do more often. And so I've loved my conversation with Troy and that he's encouraging me to step out in a direction that, uh, you know, is something that from where I grew up wasn't instilled in me. And so he has that gift. And so I hope you're going to enjoy today's conversation with Troy and I. Troy, how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity of being on the show with you. That's my pleasure, man. I loved, I have loved our conversation just in like talking the truth, sharing it out there, going like, man, I struggled through this, but guess what? Here's what came out on the other side and the journey while it was tough. This is, you know, the blessing that came about from it. So um, dude, I thank you for your time and just being transparent and open and, uh, encouraging me through our, our, our talks that we've already had. So I'm excited to go from here. Um, Troy, if we could, can we start off where, uh, where things are for you in the professional side, where are things in business for you at this time? Sure. Um, Let's see. I could start off by saying I was born at a young age in a log cabin I helped build myself. I am in Canada, but I'm not going to do that, even though I just did. So never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I will say is currently I'm in Canada and looking to relocate actually to Florida. And I have a practice right now that began on the on the backside of adversity. And I know we'll get into that a little bit later But suffice to say, right now, I am a bit of a hybrid. 
I'm an ex-military registered nurse who became a psychotherapist who is now a life coach and someone who just simply loves people. And I get in a lot of trouble because people are worth it. And I'm the kind of guy that I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not going to be on the outside of the well going, you can do it. Come on out of there. I'm going to be the guy that jumps into the well and goes, holy crap, this sucks. And how are we going to get out of this together and build the skill set or the mindset that's necessary to teach us how to follow through? As a psychotherapist, my whole job is to to tell people or teach people how to think, not tell them what to think. Everybody listening right now, you've, you've probably all been through different experiences. And I don't know what people's perception of counseling is, but a lot of my clients find this fresh kind of relief when they realize I'm not the guy that just takes my clipboard and goes, so tell me about your childhood. And how did that make you feel? Like, that's what I'm trying to avoid because there's way too much of that. And then I have to give people a bill for that. Totally not cool. So I want to be that kind of guy that just gets into the trenches with people, figures this out from the bottom up and teach people how to think, leveraging all the skills and tools that they've amassed over their lifetime, figuring out where people are stuck in the past, where people are overwhelmed in the present, or where they're afraid to build the dream in the future. Well, let's, before we move on to the next question, I want to stop here for a second and talk about something that you've just, you know, just kind of like said, and I don't want it to be in passing. So instead of telling somebody what to do, you're teaching people how to think, not just what to think. What's the difference and how does that benefit? Like if you teach me how to think about something, what's the benefit? What does that equip me to do differently than just telling me what to do? Okay. That's a great question, by the way. So, I mean, I know I can't see the audience, but I mean, if I could say, you know, by a show of hands, how many people have been given advice? How many people have been told what to do? How many people are chronically should on by others? Oh, you should do this and you should do this. And, and I'm the first one to say, stop being should on. Stop should on yourself. Stop should on others. That word should does so much in terms of creating expectations. And those expectations get us stuck in resentment. And what I'm trying to do is help people get away from that expectation resentment cycle by showing people how to think. As a nurse, I look at all facets of the human being. I talk about the mind, the body, the soul, the cultural impact. It's the psychosocial, the biopsychosocial spiritual model of care. It's a fundamental nursing concept. And I still, even though I'm not wiping bums and pushing pills like I used to once upon a time, I'm not that kind of nurse anymore. I'm a nurse that specializes exclusively in the mind because when we understand where we get stuck and we start to see our patterns, then we can start to change the pattern because the reality is you don't know what you don't know and what we don't know can really hurt us. So there's the easy way. I could tell somebody what to do. It's kind of like that nursery rhyme. And maybe you've already heard this. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. That's what I'm trying to do. I don't want to just give people answers. I don't want them coming, developing a dependence on me. There's a lot of professionals in this sector that carry their clients and, oh my goodness, I can't make that decision without my coach or without my counselor or without my therapist. And it's like, 
I wear all those hats. And what I do not want to do is create dependence in my clients. I want them to know how to fight their battles. That old soldier in me still comes out because it's like, hold on a second, leave no brother behind. That's the ethos that I still live by. It's a creed. And when I see a guy that's struggling and we don't know how to change the way that we think, or maybe there's a generational thing, or there's a pain, or there's some, or maybe we just don't like talking about feelings because it makes us feel like a wuss. Well, maybe you're going to realize that the key to real healthy masculinity is getting in touch with this thing. Our wives will appreciate it. Our girlfriends will appreciate it. And we need it if we're going to learn to rein in those stallions that make us men and start to find that strength of character to be able to move forward. So sure, I could give people the answers, but it doesn't equip them. I want you to find the answers. I'm going to show you how to think so that we can understand the mind, understand the patterns of thought that get us stuck in the past or in the present or in the fear of the future. And then once you see what you did not see before, you're no longer blind. And I believe that we all have these blind spots and we put mirrors on our car for that reason. And I'm doing the exact same thing in terms of counseling and therapy and coaching is trying to blend a model where people can finally see what they weren't able to see so that they can no longer be blind in that area. Does that answer the question? Absolutely. And I love the way you're talking about that because by, by equipping and educating, it's like you're giving people the ability to be able to discern and discover what's limiting them, right? Like if you talked about not knowing what we don't know, if I've learned something from my parents and I guarantee you all of us do, whether we want to admit it or not, if I'm blinded to that and I'm not aware of it, that will continue to limit me and keep me in a certain pattern behaving and taking action from that. And what you're talking about in equipping me and educating me to be able to make my own decisions gives me the power to be able to discover that. And then I can choose, hey, is this healthy for me or is this something I need to leave behind and choose a different route? So I'm totally on board with what you're doing. So, yes, that that was fantastic. (laughs) So. What does uh, life look like for you on the personal side, other than the fact that it is like like snowmageddon this year for you? Uh, what does life look like? This is a tough one. And I think a lot of people can probably relate with this, but the last two years have been unprecedented in the kind of grief that people are going through. I've never, ever seen marriages under such attack. I've never seen kids struggling with so much suicidality. I've never seen businesses being threatened like they have been. Yes, there's a real illness out there, but we've negated probably the two greater pandemics, one being the mental health crisis and the second being the economic crisis that this health emergency has created. And we have gone overboard. I'm one of the few health professionals that thinks we have over-responded. We have made panic where there didn't need to be. And we have overreached and used way too much control and it's affected people. And we don't even have a concept of the ripple effect of these decisions. And we probably won't for a while to come. We're going to just now start to see the impact of the mental health piece. We're seeing kids that don't know how to 
learn because we've put them in a masked environment in the early parts of their education where we learn to communicate by facial cues. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a drop of 20 points in IQ. Unprecedented. Why? Because we've forgotten how to communicate. So when I look at the last two years, it's, a, it's an anomaly. It's not normal. And a lot of us that are listening tonight might feel the same way. Oh, yeah, I get it. It's not normal. I'm, I'm behaving in ways that I never thought I would behave. I'm stressed in ways that I never thought I would experience. I, I'm tempted to lose my hope. I'm tempted to believe the lie, whatever that is. I'm tempted to give up sometimes. If that's you, then I'm going to say, I'm, I struggle with the same thing. I put my pants on the same way as you men, one leg at a time. And it's been hard being an educator and a thought leader, dealing with the stupidity in our world, and then trying to reconcile that with what we know. People turn to us for hope. And what happens when we struggle with our own hope? How do we start to sharpen one another? Iron sharpening iron, men sharpening men, being real and vulnerable and transparent. That's part of what we're going to be working through. And I'm hoping people start to see a value in as we continue this conversation. But as far as how I've been doing personally, it's been an uphill battle. It feels like I'm pushing a boulder uphill, trying to change the attitudes and the thoughts of a population that doesn't want to hear. There's a narrative and there's a lot of people that don't want that narrative challenged. And it's been frustrating. So I've I don't know if this is the right decision or not, but some of the men that I lean on, some of my inner circle, my boardroom, so to speak, some of these men I've tried to counsel with and lean on. And what I'm starting to realize is I can't change the world, but I can change individual relationships. I can have a significance and an impact on a small scale. So what I've done is I've kind of flipped my own script as much as I would love to be able to change the narrative that's out there. What I am knowing is I can be effective in small one-on-one relationships, in my one-on-one practice, in meeting new people and being on a show like this where that influence gets to go beyond. And all of a sudden we start to see purpose where we didn't see it before. So yes, it's hard. It's It's an uphill battle. There are days where that melancholy kind of sets on me and I need to kind of shake it off and go, wait a minute, I'm here for a reason. My purpose isn't over. It's kind of like that semicolon in the middle of my sentence. It started off as a period and I went, I don't know if I can get past this. And then I put that comma underneath and go, hold the phone, pause for a minute. And then that symbol together means keep writing your story. And that's what I got to remember is pick up the pen. This isn't the end. We can get through this. We've done it before. I've got the t-shirt and there's other men that have gone through this. So how Do we pick up the pen and have the courage to do things afraid and to start to write the rest of our story? And that's what's been getting me through is the hope of change, that we can change when one thing changes. And if something changes, anything changes. But if nothing changes, then nothing changes. So in essence, because things aren't going perfect, it doesn't mean that I'm less of a person, that things are not going in a positive direction. In other words, I should give myself more grace. Totally. You just (laughs) used my magic word, grace. My goodness, I wish people had a revelation of grace. And I'm I'm just going to take a little sidetrack with you, if that's okay. Because that word word brings up so much um, emotion for me. 
because the world right now, even when we start looking at some of the international events, there's this preoccupation with justice. And I'm not saying justice is wrong. I'm all for justice. But when we get it wrong in life, it's the one thing that we're not looking forward to. We don't want justice when we make it, when we make a mistake and we will make mistakes. We will fail. And like our mentor has taught us, we can fail forward. There are, I mean, sometimes we win and other times we learn. It's not about winning and losing. It's about winning and learning. And we need that mindset of failing forward. And when I look around at this world that is trying to find justice, when there's tons of injustice, I start to remind myself, what is justice? Justice is getting what we deserve. What trumps justice? Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And then what is grace? The key word here. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And that's just beautiful. So if I could put this into a a more understandable analogy, let's just say some of you are driving, listening to this show right now. You're getting really, really excited. You're not paying attention to the speed limit. And a cop pulls you over because he clocked you at 15 over. Justice is getting the speeding ticket. You know you deserve it. We're not happy about it. We know we're going to pay it. It sucks, but we were in the wrong. Mercy is getting off with a warning. I know you were distracted. You were listening to Mike and Troy. And yeah, they're, they're, they're good talkers. We can, I, I totally get it. And grace is that guy reaching over and grabbing some Krispy Kreme saying, here, take two donuts. Like we're not expecting that. It totally blows our mind. Like there's this idea of not getting what we deserve and then getting what we don't deserve. And I'm hoping that as men are listening to this show tonight, you can make a space for grace. You can start to realize that maybe just maybe this was a divine appointment. There's something that you're supposed to hear. There's an opportunity in the middle of your crisis. It's not all danger. And maybe just maybe today there's a space for grace where you start to realize I don't have all the answers. I don't need to have all the answers. And there's other men out there that are struggling the same way I am. And we learn to fail forward and we are better together. Well, and I think when I look at like my past, right? I was an unhealthy father, an unhealthy husband. I was just period an unhealthy guy. I know that I repeated the patterns that my, I learned from my parents, how to parent and be a husband. When it came time, you know, for my children, they were growing up. I really prayed for them to show me grace because I didn't, I didn't want what I deserved right? What I deserved was being distanced and held off and having a boundary put around me where it's just like, sorry, dad, you're not here. And I looked at it and said, wow, if I want this from my children, I know that my parents need it from me. And as much as I wanted justice for what I had experienced, the harder thing, but the healthier thing to do was to show grace even where I want, even though I wanted justice in the moment, because I knew my parents were hurting just as much as I was hurting and then inflicted hurt on my family. So I think oftentimes as much as we want to see justice served it and it, and it is earned, right? It justice does belong out there. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I think it's often harder to give grace than it is to serve justice. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, 
practicing both of them and understanding how they work, I think gives us a real appreciation for each of them and, you know, the role that they can play. Um, let's, <laughs> we totally went down a sidetrack there. Let's step back to you, my friend. And, and, and let's, let's talk about, you know, like, how did life look like for you? Because it's like where you're at, your journey has, has taken you through a number of, of transitions, right? You've, you have a wide skill set that a lot of people don't have. Can you take us back and, and begin the journey of like what that looked like? Because it's, it's, it's had its obstacles, it's had its challenges and you've persevered through it. So can you start us off with kind of where things were and what you've gone through? Absolutely. So back to the log cabin, um, I'm third gen- <laughs> I'm third generation military. So I come from a very proud tradition in our family. And I grew up as a military brat born in Germany, CFB LAR. Nobody knows where that is unless you're Canadian military, but it's uh, one of those. I don't, I don't even have German citizenship, but I have this little citizenship card with a baby picture and that's supposed to be ID. And it just doesn't make sense. Anyways. So I grew up as a military brat bouncing around every couple of years, never really connecting to people. My dad was never a part of my life. Most of my life, I got the, the standard um, phone call and Christmas card with a bit of money in it going, Hey kid, love you. Merry Christmas. And that was my life for many, many years and going through adolescence, going through all of this stuff, trying to understand what does it mean to be a man? Never having a role model. I cooked and cleaned and sewed and did dishes and did all the domestic things that my mom taught me how to do. Never knew anything about cars, never changed an oil still to this day. Wouldn't know. I probably hurt myself trying. Um, Never played catch with another guy. Fast forward going to Bible school, trying to figure out what do I believe? Am I going to adopt the religion of my family or am I going to wrestle with these questions to start to figure out where is God in all of this? Is he real? Is it a bunch of repetitive lip service or is there an actual relationship with someone? And my mind was blown. And I remember being 17 years old with one of my roommates and we decided to play catch. And the first time I caught that ball, I burst into tears because I never had that experience before. So I know what it is to hurt. I've gone through no role models. I've had to figure this out on my own. I got stuck in addiction, young, young, young at 13 years old, my grandparents in the world of pornography and my goodness, it it ruined my entire young adolescence, even into my marriage. It almost cost me everything. And I've only been walking in recovery for probably the last five years, but it's one of those things that was normalized. It's, And I didn't know what I didn't know. So I bought into the lie, hook, line, and sinker. And I kept trying to change, trying to be the best me. No template, no role model. Somebody told me about God as my father. And I'm like, screw that. I do not need another father. I already have one bad example. And then I had to sort of get my mind around what this means. And it broke me. Thankfully, over the years, some of these things have healed. I now have a great relationship with my dad and I love chatting with him and he's reached into my life, even though there were lots of missed opportunities. We opened up communication. We decided to deal and wrestle with our feelings. 
things that men don't typically do. And yet that was what it was requiring of us in order to change. Fast forward into my career, started off in a world of sales, selling Kirby vacuums, shaking people's hand, going, welcome to the Kirby family. For $2,000, I can bring this condition out of your home, blah, blah, blah. And I was really good at it, which scared the crap out of me. And then I learned, I worked on from there, got into financial planning, and that taught me a lot about wisdom and how to manage money wisely. And then after a whole bunch of weird changes and whatnot, 27 years old, no real direction in my life, I decided to follow the family footsteps and get into the military as a mature student, go back to school to take nursing in my late 20s and early 30s. And I joined as an officer in the Canadian Forces and served the country for 12 years. And through that time, I developed a lot of convictions. I started seeing things that weren't working in our healthcare system, or as I like to joke, our disease management system. We're not really caring for people like we should. We're amazing at emergency medicine. If you break a leg, go to the hospital. They know how to set it. If there's anything chronic, mental health included, we don't tend to get the help we're looking for. And we wonder, where's the gaps? How do we navigate the gaps? And I started becoming acutely aware of so many gaps in our system. And it inspired me to actually choose to declare my specialty in mental health. Most people thought of that as the dark side of nursing. And I was one of the, I was jumping in there with both feet going, send me in. That's what I want to do. Because so many of our soldiers were coming back from Bosnia at the time and later Afghanistan and U.S. soldiers get the same thing. So the VA knows what goes on here. And we start to see what's going on. And these guys are coming home, but they're not really home. They hear a helicopter and they jump out of their skin, but they don't want to talk. We see addiction mounting in ways that we've never seen before. Families falling apart, anger consuming men, and they don't know how to talk. And they're a broken weapon to the military. So what do we do? We get rid of them. And then they go, sometimes they go postal. Sometimes they disappear. And they take themselves out of the running because they don't know what to do. We don't know how to cope. We don't know how to talk about the things that hurt. And it was in those moments that I decided to make my specialty known. And through the work that I was doing in the Canadian Forces, I was one of those people that became a mental health team leader. I was creating policy on a national defense level on how to provide mental health care in the Canadian Forces because it's different than when a civilian kind of approaches a soldier And soldiers don't sometimes like talking to civilians. So it's one of those things that we had to mitigate some of those things. And we were trying to create these things. And one of these young soldiers, I still remember it clear as day, young gentleman, man of faith, struggling with the decisions that our rules of engagement told us to do when he was over in Afghanistan. And he was having a crisis of faith because the Bible said, do not kill. And he knew if he didn't, that he would be next. So what do we do when we're hurting like that? I saw where this kid was hurting and I decided to love him where he was at. And I asked him, can I pray with you? And he's like, you would do that, sir. And he's like, and I said, absolutely. And I distinctly remember a piece that I've never known come across this kid. I never saw him again. It was, it's one of the the hardest parts of my job. If I do my job well, I don't see people anymore. (laughs) And uh, this is what I did with him. I, I put my hands on him and I never saw him again. My subordinates were like, sir, what did you do to him? I'm like, nothing. I just love the kid where he needed to be met. Six weeks later, I'm called into my commanding officer's room or office, and I'm being charged with inappropriately 
um, administering healthcare interventions without consulting the rest of the team. They charged me with coercion. They charged me with all this other stuff. And the soldier never complained. What ended up happening was he was so changed by that encounter that he's talking to his civilian psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is wondering, why don't I see these symptoms in you anymore? And he's just like, and then the sir over there and then he prayed with me and the psychiatrist went, he did what? And then that was it. I was written off as a religious whack job suspended from practice for six months while they looked into my harmful conduct. And by the end of that six months, I had nothing negative on my file. They had no dirt on me. And at the end, they would not reinstate my mental health practice. They wanted me to go back to being a general duty nurse or else become a healthcare administrator. And that's not why I became a nurse. I wanted to serve people. And I knew that was my moment. And in, in that moment of indecision, what am I supposed to do? I chose the hard path of leaving what I loved. I got out of the forces, hung up the uniform, and that led me into this whole journey of self-discovery, trying to figure out what's the best way that I can add value to people. And I realized I made a horrible employee because I was fired two other times after that for the same kind of reasons. I'm way too principled and I don't take direction from stupid people very well. So apparently. So I realized what I needed to do was go against the flow and create my own practice. And that's what launched my first psychotherapy practice known as Anchor of Hope. I took those naval emblems, the anchor, the permanence, the ability to face storms in our life and recognize that, wait a second, we can't change the storms. And maybe this is a message for everybody listening tonight. You are in a storm. We have been in a storm for the last two years. What happens when we realize we can't change the storm, men, but we can change. And if we change, the storm itself becomes irrelevant. And that's what I started doing was speaking into the lives of men and women, couples, kids. And that has grown my practice into something that has gone all across Canada. I'm working in most provinces, several states, and now in Belize. Go figure. Somehow words spread. And it's really, really cool to see this organic spread. And now that we are in this digital age, thanks to COVID, it's probably the only thing I'm thankful for COVID with. I can be in people's living room in less than two seconds because of stuff like this. And it's just been this interesting, humbling, amazing journey of transformation, learning how to overcome, learning how to go against what people said I couldn't do, and then rising above and teaching people how to think, not showing or not telling them what to think. And that's resulted in this counseling practice and now my coaching practice, which is in pursuit and trying to develop the, the minds of men, the minds of leaders, and that can be women as well. So if there's women listening, yes, I develop female leadership as well. 80% of my clients tend to be women because sometimes men just don't want to do the work or they don't humble themselves to be able to ask those questions. So there's my story. <laughs> Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call 
and take that first step towards your life transformation. And that was what I was guilty of. I was not about to admit there was a problem because that was a sign of weakness. I didn't want to humble myself. So, but I do want to question you on one thing. You're coaching in Belize and you're in Canada in the snow, man. Like go do a one-on-one visit in Belize. I'm I like the way you think, which is why <laughs> that's why I'm thinking Florida right now. Like Anna Snowba or the Snowmageddon that you were talking about. I'm like, this yeah. is ridiculous. Why did I sign up for this? Right. I mean, Celsius to Fahrenheit at minus 40, it doesn't matter. It's the same. Yeah. And like we get days that are minus 40 and I'm like, where's my fingers? <laughs> so it's, it's crazy. I don't know why I'm doing this. It's a, it's a labor of love, I guess, but it's going to hopefully open up some new doors and I would love to be more central. And if I can wake up and it's like 80 degrees all the time, I'm like, that's awesome. Sign me up. <laughs> exactly. I did want to touch on one thing you had talked about. Um, like when helicopters fly over, right? That sound impacting um, just the environment and the situations that they've been through. I know for myself and I know for other men I've coached that, you know, hey, if you're in a financial situation and you see the utility truck or the gas truck drive up, there's this gut reaction, um, like a knee jerk, just kind of action that you take to go check and make sure that the bills are paid and the stress level goes up. and everything, you know, you go into panic mode. How do you help people get through that to where it it's not such a trigger to like uh, a stress reaction? Does that make sense? It does. And there's a couple different ways we do this. Sometimes it's just your regular psychotherapy techniques. How do we deal with anxiety? What is anxiety? It's a physical response to a perceived threat, almost like grizzly bear. And you're like, what, where, but there's no grizzly. So how do we start to tell the brain calm down? There are ways that we can speak to ourselves, not listen to ourselves. That's one of the first things that I would challenge any guy or any person who struggles with the thoughts, the things that are invasive. Think of it like a radio, whatever your favorite song is. Let's say while we're talking, your favorite song comes on in the background. You know every word, you know every riff and every melody, and you're kind of, and you're not really engaged with me anymore because what's in the background suddenly shifts to the foreground. Intrusive thoughts. What, what, What I'm trying to teach people to do is how do we take those thoughts we don't like and how do we put that back in the background where it belongs? How do we start to work that radio of our mind? Because we get upwards to 80,000 thoughts hitting our subconscious mind daily. That's a staggering amount of thought. Oh, my left butt cheek is sore. Oh, I wonder what I'm going to have for supper. What's my wife is doing? Was that my kid that I just heard yelling? What's happening with my car? And did I pay the phone bill? That was all that happened in less than 10 seconds. And it's, it's chaos. So we need to learn how to navigate chaos. That's one of the ways we do it. Another more extreme way, and this is what I do for people that are really, really stuck. It's something, it's old school, but it's called exposure desensitization. And we start to expose people to small doses of their fear to normalize that fear. Someone has arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Am I throwing a tarantula on you on session one? No. Am I going going to throw a tarantula on you? At some point, I might. But I'm not work. coming to that first visit, Troy. I'm telling you, man. 
but you're missing the point here. And I think you know where I'm going with this. So I mean, <laughs> we start with the photos. We start with the benign and we get their anxiety over five on the 10 point scale. When they're uncomfortable out of their skin, holy crap, I don't like this. Okay, great. Are you safe? Yes. Is this thing going to hurt you? No. Okay. So we start to normalize that. And I leave the image of their fear in plain sight while I'm doing the rest of my session with them. They're uncomfortable. They're like, can you move that? I'm like, no. If their eyes start to wander, the old soldier in me comes in. It's like eyes front soldier. Keep your eyes on the prize. We got to look at what we don't want to see because what I've learned, and I hope this makes sense, there's no shortcut for fear. We, we need to go through it in order to get through it. So what I'm trying to do is teach every person some of those key skills in terms of how am I supposed to face my fears, pictures, and then we get to the live things. And maybe it's the tiny little spider that you're like, yeah, whatever. And then it turns into the daddy long legs that we like to pull their legs off and they don't bite. And then, and then it gets in da, 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 and then eventually we normalize and acclimatize. And then you're doing things you never thought you could do because we started to change the way that we think. And the most powerful tool we have is right here. There's a, there's a, um, a treatment modality, very, very common. A lot of people know it. It's called CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. It's the relationship between what we think, what we feel, and what we do. Think of it as this little merry-go-round. And a lot of counselors focus on the actions. Well, I'm nervous. Well, don't be nervous. That's the emotion. We start to try and change the way we feel. That doesn't work. We change the way we behave. Any fathers out there listening tonight? How many times have you tried to get your kid to do something different using a consequence or a punishment of some sort? They will comply for fear of the consequence, but have you changed the way they think? Not a chance. <laughs> and Absolutely yet that's, not. And that's what mental health does. How many times are we focused on the behaviors? I'm suicidal. Okay, well, here's a safety plan. What are we talking about? Like, we don't, we don't fix behavior to change thinking. It doesn't work with kids. Why would it work with adults? Those behaviors come from emotions. Am I going to tell you to stop feeling hopeless? No. Those feelings took a long time to develop. It is your reality. What's my job? Get into the well with you. Figure out those emotions that are driving the behaviors, but we're not changing either of those. The only opportunity we have is to change the way we think, which is why I went down the psychotherapy route, because that's where the battle is won and fought. We change the way we think, we change the way that we feel. How do I get past that knee-jerk response? My bills are due. How do I maybe automate some things? What can I do? How do we change the question from why, which gets us looking in that rearview mirror, always looking back? Why am I like this? Why did I yell at my bride? Why am I intolerant of these people? Why am I not where I wanted to be in life? Why didn't I take that opportunity? Why didn't I overcome my fears? Any of those questions sound familiar, man? Mm-hmm. We, we plague ourselves with these why-based questions. And what we need to do is change the question to something more powerful, like a what. And in my world, I use so what quite a bit. I'm not trying to minimize or belittle where men are, but it's like, okay, this is my world, Troy. This is what's happened. It's all falling apart. And then I look at them with as much love as I can muster. And I say, so what? As in, so what are you going to do right now? Because we can't change yesterday and we can't control tomorrow. Both of those are off limits. All we have is right now. So what are you going to do? 
Now what could you do? And how do we implement those tools so that you can get the results that you're looking for? Yeah. The one thing that I've learned with why questions is the only way I can, the only way I choose to frame stuff is with a positive because when I was unhealthy, when I was like very much that Eeyore, that victim, it was like, why am I such an idiot? Why am I, you know, self-deprecating, negative? And like you talked about, it just compounds the negative thoughts, which then goes into actions. I mean, it's just a snowball effect. But when I go, why am I able to pay my bills on time? Why am I able to feel secure in this situation? You know, it's, it's sending my mind in a direction to look for a positive uh, response or framing it instead of, you know, like I talked about being that negative self-deprecating kind of bent um, because I was way too good at that stuff. You know, that was, I, I was the first person to pick myself apart because it was a power play. If I did it, you couldn't do it. And so it was a security blanket as, as bizarre as that may sound, that was the way I lived things out. But um, no, I like that. Um, it's one of those things though, what you're talking about is almost like next level thinking. We need to learn how to use why properly. Yeah. And you actually bring up a very good point because people that are listening right now, yeah, I'm not a fan of why in the beginning. It's a question that most of us aren't trained to use properly like you're doing and why gets us into a lot of trouble. But why is still one of the most powerful questions when our mindset's ready for it? Yes. Because why equals motive. And when we figure out why we need to change, why do I pay my bills on time? What you're saying right there is a motive question. I know why this matters. And those are the questions that I'll hit people at when they're in that active growing stage, when we're no longer doing counseling, we're full on into coaching. It's like, okay, why do you do what you do? Why does it matter? Who are you doing it for? Those are the kind of questions I want to elicit from people because they need to know why they do what they do. If you don't care and I care more than you do, that's a problem. So we need to figure out why does this matter? Why does it matter for us to pull together as men? Why does it matter to talk about our feelings? Why does it matter to learn basics of communication? Because most marriages are threatened by things like communication issues. So we need to learn how to communicate. We need to learn how to feel. We need to learn these crazy things that we joke about called love languages, because we all have one. And we, if we're speaking Korean and our partner speaks Japanese, well, that's a little too close, German, um, if I'm Korean and you're German, we're definitely not going to communicate. So we've got to spend the time learning how to communicate. There's so many opportunities in everything that we're talking about. And that's what I love about the why. So I'm glad you bring that up because why is a powerful, powerful question when our mindset's ready for it. So in the beginning, so what, now what, how? When we're getting through that junk, let's bring back the why and clarify the why because why equals motive. Motive equals motivation. Motivation equals discipline. And like John Maxwell teaches, the law of consistency, motivation only gets you going, but discipline keeps you growing. Yeah, it, it, it's a great uh, start out of the blocks, but it doesn't last long. Um, so you talked about not 
not having like that father figure, somebody that could invest in you and teach you like, okay, what is a man? Like, what are you, what's your purpose? What are your directives? Like what's driving you? How did you, how did you begin to surround yourself or to learn that stuff? Um, so that you weren't continuing in those same patterns and remaining in that, that rut of a deficit. That's a good one. Um, I remember going back, um, when I was really young, reacting, not responding. That's where a lot of us get into trouble. We don't know how to respond. We react to the circumstances we're in. I was four when my dad left. Let's stop there for a minute. What's the difference? Clarify for me, please. Reaction. Boom. Instinct. So there's no thought process involved. People push our buttons. Triggers. We hear that language all the time. I got triggered. That means you're reactive. When I pull a trigger in the military, something happens on the other end. It's an immediate reaction. A response requires a filter. We have to learn to slow down that mechanism. It takes no talent to react. People will get under our skin. People are going to try to push your buttons. Can you imagine a world where all of us learn to take off the buttons, where no one can push our buttons? That's a skill. That's one of the things I try to teach people. Well, this person pushed my buttons. Whose problem is that? Yours. Well, they, they pushed it. It's like, well, why do you have a button in the first place? I, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know I could come off. And that's part of the education that we do is we got to figure out how do we not react so quick? God gave us two ears and one mouth. We're supposed to be listening twice as much as we're talking. There might be a sense of humor there. There might be a, le- a life lesson there. What if we learn? What if we all learn to do some of that? Even if we're not engaged actively in counseling or coaching or whatnot, what if each of us learned to listen? What if our listening wasn't based on responding? Many people listen only to respond. I'm trained to listen in order to understand. And that's what we're missing in communication is how do we understand where each of us are at? How do we understand how to get unstuck? So for that reaction versus response, responses take time. They take work. They take training. We need to learn how to bite our tongue. We need to learn to challenge the way that we think. Like I was kind of joking at before, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. No, I'm not saying you're developing schizophrenia, but I am saying we need to learn to talk to ourselves. We need to challenge that narrative that says, I'm such an Eeyore. And then it's like, no, I'm not. I'm learning to be better than that. I'm learning to face my fears. I'm learning to deal with my emotions. Those kind of words start to teach us perspective. They give us possibility. They awaken hope. And then we can learn how to respond appropriately where I don't get buttons. You're not, it's very difficult for people to push my buttons now because most of them I've gotten off. Does it still happen to me? Yes. Sometimes it's people close to me, like kids. They learn how to still, I still have some of those residual buttons that no matter what I do, I can't seem to get rid of them, but I'm working on it because I'm still a work in progress like every other guy. But that's where we learn and that's where we grow and that's how we fail forward. So there is a quest. There is an opportunity for everybody listening. Learn to respond. It takes no talent to react. And if you find that you're overly reactive, it's because we have an undisciplined mind. We don't know how to rein that in. But there is an opportunity, and that's where we learn how to respond. 
Have you, with, with the pandemic this last two years, with, you know, people being at home, you know, most of us used to be able to escape, you know, I get away from my wife, I get away from my kids, or, you know, they're able to get away from me within the last two years. Are you now seeing that where there's more um, reaction in, in marriages and parenting because of that proximity and, and being tied to each other? hundred percent. Think of a marriage or any relationship like a pair of lungs. We're supposed to breathe. There's supposed to be time together. There's supposed to be time apart. We're supposed to be in this rhythm. You spend too much time together, you suffocate. That's what I'm seeing right now. You spend too much time apart and you drift. You start to fall out of touch with one another. We call it falling out of love, but that's, that's just an excuse because we didn't prioritize that relationship. We we grew apart. We weren't making those choices. We weren't staying intentional, but now we're on the other side of that spectrum. We have all these people that are in each other's space all the time. There is no distance and we're getting under each other's skin because we're starting to develop a lot of that friction because people are messy and we're all different and we're supposed to be different. And there's beauty in that diversity, but we got to learn how to respond. And if we haven't had that training, we're noticing a whole lot of reacting going on. It's like, pick that up off the floor. It's like, well, you're just never here usually, <laughs> but now you're always here. And no matter what I do, I'm always in your crosshairs and I'm going to get shot. And it's like, uh, that's part of this. That's a, that's another consequence of this pandemic that we're in is a lot of reactive people. Yeah. We're reacting to each other because we're around each other. The fuse is shorter and, and yeah, I, I've, I've seen it as well. And, you know, it's one of those of guys, if you're seeing more reaction at home, give, give some space, you know, give, give yourself the space, give your wife, your children, the space and learn to like, um, like Troy had talked about, you know, responding, start learning those skills. What, what's besides like coaching and mentoring, what are some some tools that can help us to learn that skill of how to respond rather than reacting. Okay. The best way that I can do that one, I have two lessons that I usually do. I'm talking about an hour and a half of content. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and just take the tidbits from there. But one of the things that I love doing is helping people understand the lens that we look at life through all of us are kind of trained to be a judge and it sucks because we suck at being a judge. And sometimes I'll do that with people. It's like, okay, you're really critical on yourself. Aren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we tend to be really critical on those around us. Aren't we? Yeah. It's like, guess what? You suck at being a judge. What? My coach just told me I suck. And I'm like, don't shut down on me yet. I'm simply trying to establish a point of reference. You know, you're not unbiased. That's part of the problem. In order to be an effective judge, we have to be unbiased. We are not unbiased when it comes to ourselves. So when we recognize that, I make a pretty poor judge. There's one judge. We're not him, and I don't want his job. So what do we do instead? What I'm trying to do is give people the tools on how to be a detective instead of a judge. What's the difference? Curiosity. What happens when people get curious about what they don't understand? 
When we see something right now in our world, we become very defensive. Well, that's not the way I learned it. It's like, okay, are you open to any other suggestions by any chance? Is there any detective in you whatsoever? What if we don't have complete perspective? Is that possible? Is it possible that we don't have all the answers? Yes, I'm being facetious, but I'm trying to prove a point here that we make poor judges and we can learn to be detectives. And that's where hope lives again. I want people to recognize that we all can learn the skills of being a detective. There are ways of becoming more curious, kind of like Edison. We think of Tom Edison. We think of what he was able to create, the light bulb. And I love that because it's like light bulb moment. What are we talking about? We're talking about Edisoning our life. That's not a real word in the English language, but I'm making one up. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. So um, <laughs> what I'm trying to get to happen is I want people to start Edisoning their problems. Just like Edison did, he failed forward. That's where I use a lot of John Maxwell's teachings in what I do, because it's just truth, gobs and gobs of truth. And how do we make it relevant in life? Edison failed. He kept a journal of everything he did wrong. And he never, ever tried to change more than one thing at a time. It's something that we learn is now known as the scientific method. If you have more than one dependent variable, you lose all reliability in an experiment. Because if I'm changing heat and pressure and temperature, I have no idea which one created the result. So there's a moment of hope for everybody listening tonight. If you realize, oh crap, I have 17 things I need to change. I am not asking you to work on all 17. I'm saying pick one. <laughs> the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. So let's just pick one thing, work on that, test that. If you fail, so what, now what, how am I supposed to use that information in order to learn? Because sometimes we win, sometimes we learn, but knowledge is not enough. And this is something that if I could change that other narrative in society, knowledge is power. I would change that for everybody listening right now because I don't actually believe it. Most of us have smartphones right now. The world's smallest computer got more technology than put the man on the moon the first time around. And we are sometimes pretty dumb in a society. We have access to all kinds of knowledge. I could Google how not to be suicidal. I could Google how to be a great husband. I could Google how to be a great dad. I could fill my head with knowledge, but knowledge isn't power because I still see insane rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, drug use, medication adherence, divorce. We're missing something. Our society is not doing too well when we're surrounded by knowledge. So knowledge can't be powerful. It's applied knowledge that makes us powerful. That's where I would coach people on improving. If we can learn to improve, that's where the money's at. People have told me I'm a good speaker. I can motivate people. If all I do is motivate, I've failed. And I tell my clients, you need to fire me. If all I'm doing is making you feel good, I let you down. It's got to go beyond motivation. It's got to go beyond education. It's got to be transformation. That's the only thing I'm looking at is how can someone take something from any time that we spend together and use it to get a result? You do that, then it's worth the time and money you're spending to work with me. Let's keep doing the work. Well, and we have information all around us, right? Yeah. But if we're not understanding ourselves, 
that's like the foundation. That's the center of the universe because how we see things, how we think about them, how we're acting, that's going to have, you know, just that ripple effect that's going to determine our world. And, you know, so it's like investing in ourselves and learning about ourselves, whether, you know, we're, we're more, uh, I'm trying to think of like the term, whether we're more gregarious, you know, outgoing, friendly, or we're more task driven or big picture, knowing those things, knowing our emotional intelligence, you know, about our past, what are limiting beliefs, you know, um, and then having people around us surrounding ourselves self with other men who we trust to give us insight for where we might be blind, you know, gaining the knowledge from, from those around us that are trusted. I mean, that to me, it's like, if I, if I don't understand me and I don't understand my, you know, myself, my thought process, my heart, everything else is skewed. It's off center. <clears throat> so man, I just, I love that. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> um, the, the choice is there. I think you've, you've given that clearly multiple times. We have a choice between grace and injustice. We have a choice between uh, reacting uh, and, you know, responding. We've got a choice between engaging or just kind of, you know, turning away in ignorance. Um, Thank you, man. I, we could continue to go on. I think you and I need to have a conversation another time because there's so much I want to talk about your story that we haven't even gotten into yet. And, um, you know, it's, but the fact of being able to have things that I can apply and take action in my life and look and understand, yeah, you know, Hey, I don't, while I could be somebody that served in the military and I have things that are triggering for me, I could be going to work or I could be at home. And there's things that I'm, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm not in control, I'm prone and vulnerable to being triggered and having my buttons pushed. Like you talked about, does that mean I'm going to get every button, you know, unclipped? Probably not, but that's no excuse for not taking care of the ones that I have the ability to. So, um, I love the encouragement. Thank you so much for, for jumping on here, sharing your encouragement, your insight and, and tangible ways to make the changes that, that is amazing. Troy, how can, how can other guys get in touch with you if they're like, Hey, yeah, this totally makes sense to me. I want to know more about it. Troy, I, I need your help. How can people reach out to you? Probably the easiest way is to contact me by email. Uh, my email is Troy in pursuit at gmail.com. The other way is to go to my website, which is simply www.in-pursuit.ca. It is a .ca for now because I am in Canada. So don't get caught up with the .com. So not yet. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all in, in, in flux, right? It's in, in yeah. movement there yeah. in process. So, well, thank you very much, my friend, for joining me today and sharing everything. I really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic time. So thank you, Troy. It's my honor and my privilege. Thank you. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. 
If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.